Our sermon text this morning is Mark 9, 42 through 50. I will just say at the outset, I'm not going to make it to the last few verses. And if I'm not going to deal with something, i like to warn you of that. Um, but we're going to read it all nevertheless. Hear now the word of the Lord. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, these are hard words. And they feel like words of death to us. They are words of life. Help us see it in Christ and for his sake. Amen. On April 26, 2003, Aaron Ralston was canyoneering alone through the Blue John Canyon in Wayne County, Utah. I had never heard that term before. Canyoneering is it's like hiking, but it includes sliding and crawling and swimming and falling and scurrying. That was actually in the definition. Through the unique terrain of the region, Ralston was a passionate outdoorsman and an experienced one. He had done it many times, but this day would bring a crisis that he did not expect. As he was descending the lower portion of the canyon, an 800-pound boulder became dislodged above him as he climbed down it, and it fell down the rock wall, and this huge rock fell upon him, pinning his right arm to the canyon wall. He was stuck. For several days, the exhausted and increasingly dehydrated Ralston tried to lift or budge or break or crack this huge rock with no success. And as he finished his last amount of food and water, Ralston began to accept his fate. He was alone and he had no, told no one where he was going. Eventually, someone would realize that he was missing. They would not know where to look. He had no way to call for help. He had no way to escape. Well, there was one way. But it was almost too awful to imagine. Ralston began to face the dilemma. It was his hand or his life. To keep the hand meant certain death. He knew if he was to walk away 
from that canyon and enter to the rest of his life, he had to cut it off. Now, for the sake of the squeamish, I will spare you most of the details. You're welcome. But on the final day of the ordeal, Ralston made the excruciating decision to break the two bones in his forearm and use what tool he had to cut off his right hand. And saving the arteries for last and building a crude tourniquet, Aaron Ralston (laughs) amazingly walked out of that canyon and lived. It was his hand or his life. And he chose life. We are faced with a similar dilemma. It's your sin or your life. Now, we don't want to talk about sin and we don't want to talk about hell. And frankly, I don't. Jesus talks about them a lot. So for a few minutes this morning, like I said, let's just face this situation. It's going to be uncomfortable for us. But I'm going to talk plainly about sin and hell. And we will be tempted to run off to other places. I was tempted to run out the back doors. We'll be tempted to look to more hopeful places in the scripture, and we will. But let's live in the tension of these few verses, for believe it or not, there is hope here. In these verses, hope. I pray we will see it. Now, earlier this week, I was talking to a good friend and I asked my friend, how do you sin? Now, I won't reveal my friend's answer or mine. But for a few minutes, we talked about the different ways that we deny God and break his law. And you know what? I was a little bit surprised at how we both struggled to answer the question. I mean, sure, we rattled off a a few things here and there, and there were things under the surface neither of us wanted to verbalize. But when the conversation was over, I wondered to myself, is that it? I mean, are we really that bad after all? Do these infractions against God really deserve death and hell? Do you ever wonder that? Jimmy, what did you read from the Valley of Vision today? Let me never forget that the heinousness of sin lies not so much in the nature of the sin committed as in the greatness of the person sinned against. The greatness of the person sinned against. Now, this morning, our Old Testament lesson was from Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Notice the prologue to the commandments. I am the Lord your God relationship already who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery salvation God had rescued his people fulfilling the promise he had made to Abraham many years before and he's about to enter into a new phase in their relationship his covenant with them salvation first and relationship now live this way before me I'm your God, I'm your Savior, I gave you the life that you now live, I know what will honor me and what is good for you. Live like this. And he gives the commandments. Words of life and abundance. Have you ever thought of them that way? 
words of life and abundance, to experience peace with God and peace with one another. So let's see how we're doing. Let's just trace through the commandments and and listen, as I ask these diagnostic questions, I'm going to use the word you, but just know I'm asking them to myself as well, okay? But let's do them in reverse order. A little top 10 list. You ready? Number 10, thou shalt not covet. Have you ever longed for the blessings of others when what God has given you is enough? And there are lots of people who don't have enough. So let me put it this way. Have you ever wanted something so badly you wanted others not to have it if you couldn't? Okay. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I've never even testified in court. But have you ever said something about another person that isn't true? Have you ever said anything about yourself that isn't true? Does your Instagram feed portray a real human life or a fantasy of success and endless happiness? Have you ever snuck into the laundry room with a pack of Oreos so your wife, who wants the best for you, couldn't hear you open them? I did this while I was writing this sermon. We laugh, it's sinister. It's hiding something from the person I'm supposed to be most intimate with. Truly sinister. Eight, you shall not steal. Have you taken something that wasn't yours? Have you ever walked out of a store without paying for something on purpose? Many of us probably haven't. I walked out with a toothbrush holder one time. And just, you know, wrangling kids and carts and things, I just put it in my pocket and I got out there and I... I didn't know what to do. Should I take it back and hope that they don't catch me on the way back in? I mean, this was a nice toothbrush holder. (laughs) Have you ever cheated on your taxes? Have you ever robbed God of his day or his tithe? Wait a minute. Which, Which commandment are we on here? Have you ever stolen a glance that wasn't yours? Wait, which commandment are we talking about? Seven, you shall not commit adultery. There it is. Have you ever cheated on your spouse? Have you ever wanted to? Have you distorted God's intention for sexual, sexual intimacy in any way? Have you ever looked lustfully at another man or another woman? Do you want what is not yours to have. Wait, which commandment is this? Six, you shall not murder. (laughs) Finally, a breath of fresh air. Haven't done that one. Nope. See, Jesus connected connected anger and hatred to murder. When you hate another human being, you've murdered them in your heart. And Jesus says they have the same punishment. Can I keep going? Five, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. A command with a promise. Do you ever disobey your parents? 
Do you do it in front of them or behind their backs? Do you ever speak ill of them when really they're only trying to do what's best for you? And this is not just for kids, by the way. Embedded in this commandment is the requirement to obey all types of legitimate authority. Do you speed? Do you cheat on your taxes? Wait, which one is this? Let's move. Four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do you delight in the Lord's day? Or is it a burden to you? When your parent or spouse or conscience says, wake up, it's the Lord's day, a day of rest and worship, to worship the Lord with the people of God, do you, with Israel of old, leave your house, begin singing the songs of ascent in jubilant excitement to worship the living God and to hear him? Or do you drag in here begrudgingly, just wanting to be left alone, just wanting it to be over? Three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Does unwholesome talk come out of your mouth? Do you use God's name as a curse? Do you take the name Christian upon yourself and then make a mockery of the name of Jesus Christ with the way you live your life? Two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Now, I know most of us do not have statues of foreign gods in our homes. And I can't delve too deeply into how we break this commandment in a modern context. Let me just ask this. Do you ever mold the God of the scriptures into a similar God that you like better? You'll take the love of God, but not the judgment of God. The forgiveness of God, but not the justice of God. The blessings of God, but not the requirements of God. The power of God, but not the sovereign reign of God in your life. One, you shall have no other gods before me. Do you have anything you worship other than God? Are you worshiping another actual God? Some may be. Not that they're a true God, but a false God. Are you worshiping your bank account? Your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, yourself? What is your heart drawn to with automatic, unhindered, first thing in the day devotion? You see, every sin has its root in this first sin. We love other things more than God. Life my way at everyone's expense, including God's. Let me put it this way. 
Suppose you have two options. Now think about this. Think about your life and answer this question honestly. Let's say you've got two options. Option one, forgiveness of your sin. An eternal life with God through Jesus Christ. As he rules and reigns over the new creation, you have unhindered fellowship with him forever. This is the biblical definition of eternal life, by the way. Option one, forgiveness of all your sin, eternal life with God through Jesus Christ. Option two, forgiveness of your sin and eternal life without God on your own terms. God makes you immortal and he leaves you alone to make the universe what you want it to be. Eternal, limitless, individual freedom and autonomy. I'm tempted to that. When I look at my life and what I do with my week and what I strive for, I'm tempted to hope for eternal, limitless, individual autonomy. God, help me. You see, that's what Adam and Eve wanted. And you were their offspring, so beware that it might be what you want. I am the Lord your God who brought you (laughs) out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And we say, fine, get lost. I'm undone by the righteous requirements of God, the God who saved me. I'm undone by this. I have been undone with it all week. I've told God to get lost a thousand times in a thousand different ways. I have broken every commandment, every one. I've broken some of them at the same time with the same act. Have you? And you may be asking me silently, Eric, which text are you preaching? Listen, Mark 9.42 makes no sense until we feel the weight and reality of our sin. So do you? Because to go on in this text without feeling the weight and reality of your sin, it's a fruitless endeavor. Is your life a sweet aroma in the nostril of God or are you as rebellious in your heart as Adam was? Do you want life God's way or do you stand with your fists clenched at the sky trying to live it your way? I have to admit, the law of God has been a mirror to me this week. And I have not liked what I've seen. I have tolerated a lot of sin in my life. I've coddled and pampered and nursed that which would put me squarely under the righteous justice of the only true God. I have. And so I ask you, how are you doing? Now stay with me, because I think we may be ready to hear the words of Jesus. Stay with me.
9.42, whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. That is a violent image. It's shocking. It sounds like a scene from The Godfather. Are you currently doing anything to help or encourage anyone else to sin? I mean, our own sin is bad enough, but to tempt others to do so is to be the agent of Satan, (laughs) isn't it? When we tempt or drag others into sin with us, we are doing the enemy's work. And we're liable to the enemy's fate. And then Jesus says these words, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And he says the same about the foot and the eye. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Now listen, in regard to this cutting off and tearing off of body parts, Jesus is speaking figuratively here. Should I have to say that? Maybe so. But I'm gonna say it. He is speaking figuratively. We know it for a number of reasons. First, the scriptures speak against this type of self-mutilation. But even more than that, does cutting off the hand remove the desire to steal? Uh-uh. Does cutting off the foot prevent the heart from going where it ought not go? Nope. Does tearing out the eye cleanse the covetous, lustful heart and mind? Of course not. What Jesus is saying is sin is deadly. It's deadly. And no matter what it takes, be rid of it. Jesus' imagery is jarring. It's severe. It is not too severe. As one writer said, hard words are not harmful words as long as they come from Jesus. It's your sin or your life. Whatever it takes, no matter how precious the thing is to your sinful heart, if it causes you to choose your way over God's way, be rid of it, no matter the cost. That's what Jesus is saying with graphic imagery. But how do we start? I mean, that's the question, right? There are some things you can do. There are. There are some practical things that you can do and we should do, okay? If it's an adulterous relationship, end it. Today. If it's disobedience to parents, repent and come back under their authority, willingly, today. If it's a dishonest business practice, end it. Gossip, slander, lies, idolatry, pornography, covetousness, greed, anger, do what you can to end these habits and sins. Do it. Do what you can do you're carrying them out on the precipice of eternity and below judgment. But let me say this clearly. There are some things you can't do. 
You can't make your heart new. You can turn away from your sin in practical ways, but it won't be enough. You need a new heart. One that is bent toward God and not away from him. Only he can create a clean heart in you. It's your sin or your life. Now, even now, the discerning believers should be wondering, wait, wait, are you saying that in some way there is sin in my life that Jesus won't forgive if I don't deal with it? I started dreading this question Monday morning. I've dreaded it all week because I know you're thinking it. How can I square this stark warning with Jesus that I'm in danger of hell? How can I square that with the rest of scripture that I know to be true? How can this be true and the gospel be true? And the struggle in my heart this week was the temptation to tie all this up real early. with a nice bow, a nice early gospel bow. Jesus doesn't do that, does he? I can't give you the answer you want at this very moment, but it's coming. We have to stare down this warning from Jesus with a deadly seriousness. How deadly is sin to the believer? I mean, aren't we in some way immune to this verse of Scripture? Isn't the gospel true after all? Listen, the gospel is true. The gospel is true. And if your question is, will God always forgive me if I come to him in repentance? The answer is yes. It's a beautiful, in stereo, yes, from the pages of scripture. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. Listen to John six thirty-seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So come to Jesus with all your sin and he will forgive you and receive you. The gospel is true. But if your question is, how much sin can I tolerate in my life? The answer is none. It has to be killed. It has to be sought out and cut off and cast out and torn out. Romans 6, 1 through 4, what are we to say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? <laughs> By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, 
just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We too might walk in newness of life. The gospel is true. So bring your sin to Jesus, that he with you may kill it. That you may walk in life, the life he has won for you. There is no amount of sin that can be tolerated in the life of the believer. And for the one who comes to Jesus in repentance and faith, there is no corner of your heart to which Jesus Christ does not say, mine. Do you have some sin that you're holding on to? Are you afraid to let go of something because you're afraid that Jesus will not be enough? It's idolatry. And with the precision of a desperate man cutting off his own arm to escape with his life, cut off that sin before it destroys you. Now, even at this moment, there are people, I can promise you at least one, who's thinking of sin that has to be killed. It has to be killed. It's our sin or our life. So don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. This moment of clarity that some of us have, it may fade into the busyness of life. It may fade into the busyness of this day. It may cave to the power of sin. Respond to God. Do you know why? You are not alone. We are not alone in this fight. If you are alone in this fight against sin, you should despair. You are not up for it. But you are not alone in this fight against sin. Look at the words from our hymn today. Come ye sinners. Come ye sinners. Poor and wretched. Weak. Wounded. Sick. Sore, Jesus ready, ready, stands to save you. Full of pity joined with power. Listen to this. He is able. He is willing. Doubt no more. There's another verse of that song. And then it says, if you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. This moment that sin that you're thinking of, kill it. Take it to Jesus so that he can kill it. He is willing to make holy we who come to him. And once we're his, he intends to do his work. Paul tells us in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will bring, will, will, not might, it can, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. This fight against sin, it may look like a stock market graph. But in the end, Jesus Christ will bring the good work that he's doing in us to completion. And all week, I struggled with this passage. I wrestled with it. Especially the 
cut off and tear out phrases. I saw the severity. I missed the hope. I missed the hope. Look for these three phrases in our text today. Enter life. Enter life. Enter the kingdom of God. Do you see them? Verse 43. See, I read these verses with the emphasis on the cut off the first time, but now listen to them. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. There is hope in these verses. Each time Jesus highlights the danger for our good, but then he, he highlights the hope. You see, there's part of the Aaron Ralston story I didn't tell you. See, the choice before Aaron, his armor, his life, it became apparent to him days before he took any action. His strength was waning. The tools for the job were less than ideal. And he wasn't sure, even if he tried, that he could separate himself from his arm. And the night before his freedom was realized, starving, dehydrated, and exhausted, Aaron had a vision. It was probably a hallucination, but his mind was telling him something. It was a vision of himself playing with a child that had not yet been born to him. And when he woke, he got to work. <laughs> you see, the courage to live did not come from staring at the desperation of his crisis and lamenting and worrying. It came from his hope for his future. He saw a life worth living, and it led him to a sacrifice worth making. <laughs> there would be pain, and there would be blood, but after it, life. Can you hear Jesus plead at you today? Enter your life. Can you see a future with God that is worth more than the sin that has crushed you under its weight? Enter life with Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also, as those witnesses did, lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely, and let us run the race with endurance, the race that is set before us, listen, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the, hand, the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you 
may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He did. We were crushed between and beneath the boulders of our sin and the Holy Son of God came down to rescue us. He took our place and he bound himself to that cross where he was crushed for our iniquities, for the joy set before him. Do you know what that was? Jesus Christ saw a future with us and it was worth winning and it led him to a sacrifice worth making. You were worth it. His pain, his blood, our freedom. Let's pray. Lord, this struggle against sin, on our own we lose. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ who has done all things well for us. We pray in his name, amen.